This morning, I want to preach to you on hope. Now, hope is an interesting thing. And if you've been here for a while, which all of you guys have, you've heard me say it, that, that earthly hope is a little bit different than biblical hope. So, I went ahead and, and looked up on the internet in the dictionary, dictionary.com. That's where I go for all my dictionary needs. They're not sponsoring this message. But it, it says, I wanted to know, what, what, is, what is the dictionary definition of hope? And it says, it's the feeling that what is wanted can be had or that events will turn out for the best. And I'm like, man, that's a weird definition for hope. I guess it matches up with what the world thinks, but the words that caught me off guard was, one is that it's a feeling. And I'm like, well, that's not what biblical hope is like. Biblical hope is just a feeling. And then it says that what is wanted can be had. That means that, that they think that it's a feeling that something is possible. But for the believer, hope is completely different than that. It's, it's, a complete, it's not a feeling. Hope is a certainty in the Scriptures. And it's so different than the world's hope. You know, one of the greatest examples of how our hope affects us differently is, is, is when we grieve for those who are lost. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 13-14, it says, We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. You know, people that don't have hope, at best they think that maybe something is better for them on the other side, and at worst they don't have any hope at all. They figure that's it. But as believers, because of our hope, we have a certainty that there's more than this life on earth. And we grieve differently. We, it's not that we don't get sad. We still get upset. We're, we're hurt because we don't get to see them for a while. But that's the thing is, for believers, it's for a while. Because we have hope. We have a certainty that we'll get to see them again if they know the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, hope changes your outlook. Hope changes your view of things. When you have hope, you see the world completely different. And for the Christian, hope is more than just a wish or a dream. It's firm. Hope is firm for the believer. And it's a catalyst for our faith. It's the springboard, the starting point for our faith. Because the promises of God inspire hope inside of us. When we see, we look at the Scripture and God makes a promise and we latch our hope onto that with certainty, that's when our faith gets attached to it. And as we'll see later, that when you attach faith to something, it becomes a reality in your life. So the question is, how can our hope turn to faith? How can it even do that? It's because our hope is a done deal. It's a sure thing. And as such, we can put our faith inside of it. You know, we're not like wishing for something. You know, I wish this would happen. That's not hope to the believer. Hope is firm. So then as I was reading through that dictionary, as you know, in most dictionaries, there's not just one definition for everything. And this one had nine different entries for what hope is. And they're all pretty similar. But the last one, it was tagged with this little tag right in front of it. It said archaic, which was basically saying that this is... This is the old definition. This is antiquated. This isn't what people view hope is today. Because how many of you know that we, we have a living language? You guys, you guys ever heard that before? Drives me crazy. You want to know why? Because did you know that the dictionary definition for literally now includes figuratively? Drives me nuts. Because over time, 
the definition of the world literally has changed. Because we say, oh, I literally died. No, you didn't. You're still living. Now how are we supposed to tell what something is literal? Because the definition has changed. But that's the joy of a living language. So anyway, back to this. We have this definition that's archaic. It's old. It's antiquated. And what it says is it's to, and this is number nine on the list. It says to place trust, rely, usually followed by in. So what it's saying is, is, is the, antiqu- the old version of hope, it means to place trust in or to rely on something. That sounds a little bit like biblical hope, doesn't it? Because you're trusting in it, you're relying in it. You're not, it's not a feeling. It's to place your trust in and rely on Jesus. And that's what creates hope in your life. And that's a, that's a firm foundation. That's a solid thing. You know, if I were to rewrite that first definition so that it would be applicable to the Christian today, I would say it's the, not the feeling, but the knowing that what is wanted, and it wouldn't be can, but will be had, or that the events will turn out for the best. It's the knowing that what is wanted will be had. And there's a difference. Just changing out those two little words changes everything, but it brings it in line with what the Scripture says about our hope. In Proverbs 10.28, it says, The hope of the righteous brings joy, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. So there's a, in this small little verse, there's all kinds of stuff that we can take from this. One, we can see that the hope of the righteous brings joy. You know, when you set your, your sights on the hope that's found in the Scripture, that's going to bring joy to your life. And there is a, a total difference between joy and happiness. You see, happiness is entirely based on circumstance. We've talked about this before, but, you know, you're happy if you get a raise. We're happy when we get to go on vacations, right? That makes us happy. We're happy when we find out we're having a baby. Got all kinds of crazy Facebook posts going on up about it. Crazy pictures. Everybody is excited. But it's also the same with unhappiness. Because, you know, you're unhappy if you get fired. Or maybe you get sick, so that makes you get unhappy. Or actually, having a baby is one of those things that can go both ways, right? You might be unhappy you're having a baby if you weren't, weren't expecting it. But that's all dependent on your circumstances. Whereas joy is, is different. Because joy is completely independent of your circumstances. You can be unhappy and still have joy. And that doesn't make any sense. It's kind of hard to, to grasp when you realize that joy is based on our hope, that foundation that we have in Jesus, which is unchangeable. It's that imperishable seed That never changes, and that joy is always there. Joy is the result of what God has accomplished inside of you. Also, we see that the joy of the Lord is our strength. In Nehemiah 8.10, he said, Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day is holy to our Lord and do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. It says do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And that's a weird statement to me because once again we have that, that issue of grieving at the same time that we have joy. 
because they're independent of our circumstances. In this particular situation, uh, Nehemiah had just had the book of the law, the law of Moses, read to them. And basically, the people began to weep. They began to have grief because they began to rec- They were convicted. They recognized that they had missed the boat somewhere along the way. They had fallen away. And they began to grieve. And Nehemiah says, don't grieve. This is a day of hope. This is a day of joy. And that joy will be your strength. Put that stuff behind you and focus on what God has done and joy will well up inside of you. Joy is from God. Real joy is from God. And it's the result of having hope in the finished work of His Son. I mean, no matter what's going on in your life, when you look at what was accomplished inside of you because of what Jesus did, that should bring you joy no matter how bad it is. Even if you think worst case of all worst cases, it's only for a little while, and then it gets to be done with. I'm on to meet Jesus, and I'm done with this nonsense. But then it goes on here, it says, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. One, I want you to know that these two are being contrasted, right? The hope of the righteous and the expectation of the wicked. And I find that interesting because they're used almost the same way except for the unrighteous. It's not hope, it's just an expectation. But how many of you know that when we have hope, that's also an expectation? It's not a wish, it's not a whim, it's not a, uh, you know, a, a... it's, 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 it's an expectation. It's a, it's a reality. And it says the expectation or hope of the righteous brings joy, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. You know, the, the, the wicked, they're going to expect things too, but it's, gonna, it's not going to last. What they have their faith in, what they're relying on, what they're standing on, their expectation, whether that be, the, the, for us, the American dream, or them, you know, back then, them you know, ex, uh, surmassing riches, even if they get all that, even if they get what they're expecting, what they've relied on, in the end, it's going to perish. In the end, it means nothing. They can't take it with them. And there's no joy in that. The wicked can only expect things, but the Christian can have hope. Without Jesus, all you can have is expectation, and it's temporary, and it will perish, it will disappear, it's not going to last. But with Jesus, and that's the only place to have true hope, real hope is in Him, it's eternal. Biblical hope is eternal. In earthly hope or that just plain old expectation of what's going to happen, it's not. Even if all that's expected is received, what does that gain you in the end? What does the Scripture say? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world if he loses his soul? In Proverbs 13, 12, it says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. You ever notice that when you're hoping that you want something, you're desiring something, the longer it takes to get it, it seems to have it wear on you a little bit. It takes its toll. When you finally get what you've been holding out for, what you've been waiting for, what you've been working so hard for, it, it revitalizes you. You know, there's times, I imagine when you were in school, there were times you were like, oh Lord, just let this be done. But when you finally finished it, you were just revitalized. You were, well, 
guess which one we talk about, whether the real graduation or the fake graduation. But somewhere in between there, you feel pretty good about it, I imagine. And this is even more true in the spiritual realm. You know, when we, we set our eyes on hope, the hope of God and we receive it, when we finally put our trust in Christ, when we finally are able to take hold of that hope, it's the, it's the tree of life. But those people, there's people that are walking around the world and they don't have that hope. They're looking for something. They're trying to find something, whether they find it in a bottle or in women or in money or in their job or the government, whatever it is, they're looking for it and it never fulfills what they're looking for. And they're walking around sick. All around us, people are walking around with, with a no hope and their greatest expectation might be the American dream. They figure if they can get that figured out, then all's going to be okay. But the truth is that that's, that's not true at all. Because we've seen people that are rich and famous. The most recent one that comes to, to mind is Robin Williams, who seemed to be happy. I mean, he was a comedian. He laughed all the time. He had all the money. He had everything. But his life was a wreck. He was divorced multiple times, and he ended up taking his own life. That American dream didn't fulfill anything in him. He still had no hope. And people are walking around like that. Now they have a sickness in their heart. They don't even realize it. They don't even recognize that that there's even a cure. Hope today has been robbed. Larry Carter, the president of Great Lakes Christian College, told a story. And he says, I remember when I was a kid, and he's, he said it was like 40 years ago, I was a kid, and I, I was in Little League. And the coach came up to us, and he sat us all down at the beginning of the season. And he said, how many of you on this team are going to grow up to be a professional baseball player? And he said, everybody on the team raised their hands. And he said, and you could look in their eyes, and they meant it. They knew it. They were going to fight for that. They, were going, they had hope that they could make it. And the coach told him, he said, well, if that's what you want, then you're going to have to play hard. You're going to have to practice hard, and you're going to have to do these things. And as a result of that, they played hard, and they practiced hard because they had hope. They saw something in their future, and they had an expectation of what was going to happen, and they worked for it. So he said when he became a Little League coach 40 years later, he, he remembers that he brought his team together. And he sat them all down. And he remembered that speech he got from his coach. And he remembered how it inspired him. And, and he said, you know what, I'm going to do that with these kids. And he says, how many of you today are going to grow up and be a professional baseball player? And he said, not a single kid raised their hand. And he goes, really? N- n- none of you guys want to do that? And then he realized that if none of them were going to raise their hand, if none of them had hope that they could be more, that they could do more, then the rest of his speech was pointless. So he said, all right, well, I guess let's just get out in the field and practice. That's kind of how the world is today. There's so many people walking around, and man, you tell them that there's something, even if you tell them there's something more, They're so far gone, they're so sick in their heart that they don't even see that there's a way out. All they can see is their failure and their hurts and their struggles or how other people have hurt them and they can't look forward and see anything past that. So even when you tell them that there's more than that, there's a hope that God loves you and He wants something for you, they can't even see it. 
because their heart is sick, because they have been without hope for so, so long. But for the Christian, we have hope. We have a vision for the future in the promises of God and in our inheritance in Him. This is our tree of life. This is our revitalization. This is why we can live with a heart that's not sick because we have everything in Him completely fulfilled. And this is what we can share with others to help them get past it, to help them see past what they're seeing right now. And it's our responsibility and it's our charge to share that with others. You guys missed a great place to say amen. In Romans 8, 24 through 25, it says, For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And then Hebrews 11, 1, I think, ties really well with this verse. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Like I said earlier, Christian hope is rooted, it's planted firmly in reality. It's solid. Christian hope for us is a reality. And it's not the same as when we proclaim stuff like, man, I really hope it rains today. When we say that, we have, uh, the, the, the reality is when we say stuff like that, there's an understanding that, that it might not, or it probably won't, depending on what the weather's like, even though we can hope it all we want. Or we can say, man, I, I really hope this is the winning lottery ticket. But your chances of that being true, no matter how much you hope for it, it's very, very slim. From what I understand, you're better off hoping for rain and getting struck by lightning. (laughs) Or you can say, man, I hope it's a boy, because I already got too many girls in this house. And the ratio of boys to girls in this house is seriously lacking. (laughs) Yeah, I I had that too before we had Blake, don't worry. I used to tell people I had estrogen on tap at my house. If you need any, come, come grab some. So I know that feeling, brother. Now, even science. It's amazing to me how much stuff in science, that they have these amazing breakthroughs, these amazing discoveries. And, and, and I'm like, but the Bible said that like 4,000 years ago. You know, like, they had it figured out back then, and you guys are what, now just catching it up. Which is the great thing about science, because ultimately the science taking to its furthest extreme will ultimately only prove the truth of the Word of God. Now, I don't know that that's a good thing because because just like Jesus told to, to Thomas, he says, you have seen so you believe, but blessed are those who haven't seen and still believe. But ultimately, if science taking to its furthest extreme is going to prove the truth of the Bible, and it has time and time again. But this is what uh, uh, this guy, his name is Jerome Grootman. He's a... He's, he says he's, the, he's a medical doctor, and he's the Dina and Raphael Reconati Professor of Medicine at Harvard. I don't know what all that stuff means, but apparently it's pretty important, and I bet you it's on his business card. But basically, he's the, the Chief of Experimental Medicine at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center, and he's one of the world's leading researchers on cancer and AIDS. Basically, this guy knows his stuff. He's a medical guy. He knows the science behind it. And this is what he said. He said, hope, unlike optimism is rooted in unalloyed reality. Well, that sounds pretty biblical, doesn't it? 
Hope, unlike optimism, is rooted in unalloyed reality. Hope is the elevating feeling we experience when we see, in the mind's eye, a path to a better future. Hope acknowledges the significant obstacles and deep pitfalls along the path. True hope has no room for delusion. Hope gives us the courage to confront our circumstances and the capacity to surmount them. For all my patients, hope, true hope, has proved as important as any medication. There's an authentic biology of hope. Researchers are learning that a change in a mindset has the power to alter neurochemistry, belief, and expectation. The key elements of hope can block pain by releasing the brain's endorphins and encephalins, mimicking the effects of morphine. In some cases, hope can also have important effects on fundamental physiological processes like respiration, circulation, motor function, and during the course of an illness, then hope can be imagined as a domino effect, a chain reaction in which each link makes improvements more likely. It changes us profoundly in spirit and in body. It's pretty amazing to me that hope, real hope, is like Scripture talks about it. It's a reality in Christ. Now, I don't know if this guy's a Christian or not. But I think he's making a great case for biblical hope. You see, hope for the Christian is the reality of what he has accomplished. And it is the promises of God for our lives. It's not delusional. Like he said, there's no room for delusion in hope. We're not delusional. We're just putting our faith in something that can be trusted, that can be relied on. It's those things that we don't see. We have hope, even if we don't see it. And that's where faith comes in. Hebrews 11.1 says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Our faith is the catalyst, that, that our, our hope is the catalyst for faith that ushers in the realities of what we're hoping for. Faith and hope are interrelated, and you can't have faith without hope. If you don't have hope in the promises of God and what God will do for you, you're never going to trust Him. You're never going to have faith in Him. So it's the hope that we have that, that sparks our faith, that brings those things into reality in our life. And just like that, that doctor said, there's no room for delusion. This isn't foolish for us to live like that. Because the one that we hope and place our faith in is faithful. He'll never let you down. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. I've said it time and time again, blind faith is silly. Thank God we don't have blind faith. We have faith in something that's more solid and more assured than anybody has ever placed faith in before. Amen. Hebrews 6, 17-20 says that, So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of His purpose, He guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, who, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and a steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So how can we have that confidence? You know, how can I stand up here with assurance and say it's not foolish to put your faith in things that are unseen? It's because stuff like this, scriptures like this, make it so clear that we have an anchor, 
a steadfast anger for our soul, that we might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. You see, what he's talking about here is, 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 he, is the writer of Hebrews, if you, if you start a little bit earlier in Hebrews 6, he's talking about promises that God has made. And the first one he talks about was the promise that God made to Abraham and his heirs. And it says that God made the promise and just like today, when, 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 for then, when somebody made a promise, they, they would give an oath on somebody higher than themselves. So if they gave an oath on God, that means that it was supposed to be a more truthful oath than one that was not. Which is why Jesus finally said, just let your yes be your yes and your no be your no. Quit making oaths on stuff. Just tell the truth. But that's how they did it. And if they, if they made an oath on God, then, then it was supposed to be the highest level of oath. Well, God said, there's nobody higher than me, but so that you can have assurance. You see, God wasn't doing it for himself. He was doing it for us. So that, that Abraham could have assurance, he, he one, made a promise. And, and the, the two unchangeable things he's talking about right here is, one, it's impossible for God to lie. If God made a promise, that's an unchangeable thing. But then on top of that, he swore an oath on himself. And we all know that, that it came true with Abraham. Abraham believed in the promise that was made to him, that he would be the father of many nations, and the blessing would be to him and his offspring, it came to pass. And then the Scripture says, he also, so, that, so when God desired sh- to show more convincing link to the heirs of the promise, we're the heirs of the promise, when he wanted to be more convincing, he, see, he guaranteed it with an oath as well. And it says that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, and one, it says, and we who have fled for refuge, he's talking about us that have fled for refuge in Jesus Christ. You know, according to the law, if somebody did something like accidentally killed somebody, they could go to these cities of refuge and they couldn't be harmed by the family members or for any of those things if they stayed in these cities of refuge. Now, we're not talking criminal stuff. We're talking of the you know, manslaughter, accidental something. They could go to these cities. They... they, they they were put in a place of safety that they were watched out for. And that's what he's saying. We who have fled for refuge, and we have done that in Jesus Christ. We deserve to pay for those things, but we fled for refuge in Jesus. And he says that for those of us, that we might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us, we have this as sure and a steadfast anchor of the soul. God basically one made a promise and he cannot lie and then he swore on himself so that we could have assurance that what we've placed our hope in is never going to let us down. That's why it's not blind faith. This is something that's so real, that's so firm, that will never let us down and we can put our faith here. We can put our hope in God. Our salvation is guaranteed by God's promises and His oath. And if this doesn't inspire hope to well up inside of you, I don't know what will. You might need to check your pulse. Amen? In 2 Corinthians 3, 12 through 8, we're going to see that hope also inspires boldness inside of us. In 2 Corinthians 3, 12 through 18, it says, Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened for to this day when they read the old covenant that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day whenever Moses is read a veil lies over their hearts. 
But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is Spirit. You know, the hope that we have inside of us, the glory of the gospel, it should inspire boldness inside of us. We shouldn't be able to not speak about it, to share it with everybody we meet. And we can boldly proclaim the gospel because it's eternal and it never fades. You see, Moses had, a, had something he had to deal with. He had to cover his face when ministering to the people. And Paul refers to this actually right here in, in Corinthians uh, chapter 3. He, he refers to it a couple times. The first, in, three verses seven, in three, 2 Corinthians 3 verse 7, he says that, Now in the ministry of death carved in letters of stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory which was being brought to an end. One, they couldn't look at it because of the glory of God that was on his face. Now, I don't know why they couldn't look at it. I don't know if, I, if it was just too bright and they had to cover their eyes because they couldn't handle that glory. I don't know if, it, if they felt like it shone lights on areas of their life where they just they couldn't deal with it, they couldn't handle it. But for whatever reason, Moses wore a veil to hide that glory of God. He would go into the, to the tabernacle, he would speak to God, and he would come out and his face would glow. And he had to cover it up. And the second is right here in verse 13 that he mentions. He says that he put a veil over his face. The Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. That was the other part of it. As soon as Moses left the presence of God, the glory on his face would begin to fade. And over time, it faded till it was completely gone. But Paul says, you know what? I have such a hope that I can be very bold. I can come to you with unveiled face. Because the glory that I'm bringing, the glory that I'm preaching about, the hope that I have will never fade away. And it's for everybody. You see, even now, when, when the law of Moses is read, the veil is still over their eyes. Until they turn to Jesus, that will never be lifted. The real glory of God will always be hidden from them. But we can boldly proclaim the hope that we have inside of us and lift the veil from people's eyes so they can see the same hope that we have inside of us. And this is hope that doesn't fade. It's hope that doesn't wither with time. And our glory remains steadfast. And with confidence and boldness, we can share that with others. Because like I said, they're walking around without it. They need it. Some don't even know it. Some do. Some are looking... Some are running away from it, but the truth is, if they don't have it, they need it. Amen? In 1 Peter 3.15, it says that we need to be ready to make a defense of the hope that we have inside of us. 1 Peter 3.15, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Are you prepared to make a defense for the hope that's inside of you? When someone comes up to you and says, man, why are you different? Why are you so optimistic? Why do you seem to have a different outlook than everyone else? Do you have a reason? Are you ready to tell them to share the gospel? Are you ready to say, because I have Jesus inside of me and my life has changed, and even though the economy is garbage or, or we're doing layoffs at work or these different things are happening, that my trust is still in Him. 
Are you ready to give an account for the hope that you have inside of you? Do people even know that there's a hope inside of you? You know, the, the book of Matthew says that we are to be a city on a hill or a lamp upon a lampstand, not tucked underneath a basket. We're supposed to be visible. People should be able to see the hope that's inside of us. This means that we express Christ's love to everyone we meet. See, Jesus was the, the greatest example of the way that we should share our faith. You know what Jesus never did? You never saw Jesus up on top of one of them mountains telling people how they're all going to hell if they don't shape up. That this sin and that sin is going to send you there. No, He went and met people where they were and He accepted them as they were and He shared with them. Now, He didn't leave them as they were. There wasn't an expectation of you could stay this way forever, but He still met them at the place that they were and He just showed them love and He expressed that to them. And that does two things. One, that shows the hope you have inside of you because that's not how people act. People are always looking down on other people. People are always being judgmental. And as Christians, we shouldn't be. Like I've said many times before, if you expect them to act like a Christian when they're not, you're just fooling yourself. Fire and brimstone, Bible thumping, Bible bashing, whatever you want to call it, it's never going to win anybody. You know, sometimes the greatest reason why we can't share the gospel is because we just get in our own way. The story of this guy, he was, he was going down the road and he saw a bus get overturned. And he knew what he had to do. He wanted to go help those people. The bus turned over, the windows were broken in, and, and people were hurt. So he jumped out of his car and he ran towards the bus. And he, he got up on, on the front and he grabbed the handle of the, of the door to open it. And he's pulling and he's pulling and he can't get the door open. He's pulling with all his might. And finally he sees that, that there are other people that have opened the windows or, bro- or the, through the broken windows. They were pulling people out of the bus like that. So he gave up on the door and he began to pull people out of the, out of the bus. But after it was all said and done, he looked over and he watched another man walk up to the bus, turn the handle, and he lifted the handle of, of, of the open the door with no problem. There was no struggle. The door wasn't jammed. The door wasn't, and he didn't understand what happened until he realized that in his haste to help, in his haste to be a blessing to those people, to save them for what they were in, is when he jumped on the bus and he grabbed the handle, he was standing on the door. So when he pulled on the handle, obviously the door wasn't going to move. You know, that happens to us when we're trying to share our faith. So many times we get in our own way. We want to be a blessing. We want to be helpful. But we come across as just rude, judgmental people. We're standing on the door while we're pulling on the handle. It says that we need to give an example or be prepared to make a defense of the hope that is in us. But we need to do it with gentleness and respect. I was reading about a story of a, of a Jew who, who uh, he actually ended up giving his life to Christ, but he had a, had a real good friend who, who uh, uh, was a Christian. And they would often talk, and before he became a Christian, he remembers one time his friend finally got fed up and says, I don't get it. The Scripture says that there is no way to the Father except through Jesus. And he said, I remember I was so angry. Because I'm like, who is this guy to think that, that, he, that his religion is the only way to God? His, his, his faith was the only way that Jesus was. And he was just so upset at this guy. 
And the reason was because the guy came across so abrasive and so, like, why don't you get this? It's so clear. And he said many years later, he finally did give his life to Christ. He says, but I encourage you to not go about it this way when you're trying to win somebody over. We have to do it with gentleness and respect. And not by bashing them with the Bible. Amen? In Romans 5, 1 through 5, we find out that hope does not disappoint. We found out earlier that it was an anchor, it was assured, and then we find out that it never does disappoint. Therefore, in Romans 5, 1 through 5, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You know, the first result of being justified by faith is that we get that, that peace with God. And through Him we, we obtain access by faith to the grace. And grace is, is, you know, mercy is what not getting what we deserve, but grace is being giving something that we didn't. And, and God, in His grace, gives us a brand new life. And it says, in which we stand, because we stand and we can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. What we see, what God has promised, we can rejoice in that. And then it goes on to say the old rejoicing, the sufferings part that nobody wants to hear, everybody wants to skip. But even in our sufferings, we can have joy. We can rejoice. Because joy doesn't come from the circumstances, but it comes from God. It comes from the fact that we have peace with God. It comes from the fact that we stand in His grace and that we can rejoice in His hope. Because even through all that, as we suffer, we become stronger. We endure, and as we endure, it improves our character. It's no longer an act of endurance, but it's an act of just who we are. And then finally, as we become that person, it produces hope inside of us because we recognize that we're brand new. We're not who we used to be. And that hope will never put you to shame. It'll never let you down. It'll never fall away. When we place our hope in Jesus, it is a sure thing. Jesus is what our hope is in. And we can be confident that God will do what He said He would. And we can understand as he talks about God's love being poured into our hearts, that his love is inexhaustible and it's inextinguishable. In other words, it doesn't run out and it can never be put out. And because of that, it'll never disappoint. It's never going to end. It's never going to be divided among people because there's more than enough for everyone. Amen? Man, I'm way behind. 1 Peter 1, 13-16 says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passion of your former ignorance, but as who called you as holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. <clears throat> I 
you know, our, our hope is fully wrapped up in the grace that is given through Jesus Christ. He says, prepare our minds for action. Be sober-minded. Preparing for action because as Christians, we need not be people that just sit on our seat. As Christians, we should never be a people who just come to church on Sunday, warm a chair, and then leave. And it says that we need to be sober-minded. That means that we can't be taken to and fro from all these different winds of doctrines. That means that we have to be sober in what we see and read the Scripture and understand it and learn it and finally have our hope fully on the grace that we were brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Our hope is forward-looking. Our hope is looking to the future because there will come a day when our hope is fully 100% manifested. Like I said, when we have our hope in Jesus, things have happened now. We've been changed on the inside. But our hope is that it doesn't stop there. It's one day we'll be completely transformed from glory to glory in His image. Our hope is forward-facing and forward-looking. And as a result... Of that hope, it changes who we are, how we live. He says that as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Isn't it good to know that all that stupid stuff in our past is our former ignorance? It's, it's, it's the dead man, it's the old man, it's not who it is anymore. But he says as obedient children, don't be conformed to that old person. Why? Because we have a hope fully set on the grace of God. There is something more. We have something to look forward to. And it's a certainty, not a wish and a, and a whim, but it's a certainty. And he says, because as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And I love these scriptures because, one, because he's holy, we need to act that way. He says, and our conduct be holy because God is. But the scripture says, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And, one, it's a, it's a command I'm holy, so you act holy. But it's also a reality. I'm holy, so you're holy. I'm holy, and I'm inside of you. I've given you a new spirit, so you are holy. See, the the thing about it is we have this hope that we look forward to at the revelation of Jesus Christ, but it also impacts us now. There's a reality to what we have right now, and we're changed as we're made brand new, and we're not stuck to who we used to be. But our hope, transforms our lives knowing that we are different now and ultimately we'll be transformed into His image, like I said, from glory to glory. That's one day when we stand to Him face to face. Amen? First Peter 1 Peter 1, 3-5 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through, the faith, through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. You know, the last scripture we looked at, it talked about the hope that we have that's going to be revealed to us And this one talks about being born again to a living hope, a right now hope, what we're dealing with right now. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Right now, you have a brand new life inside of you. Right now, you're a new creation. 
Now, I praise God for the one day in the good old by and by when we go to heaven one day. It's going to be an amazing time. But we also have hope for right now as well. It's not just one day. Since we're born again to a living hope. A hope that tells us that right now that we are forgiven, that we are free, that we are victorious, that we are more than conquerors, that we're no longer a slave to sin and death. The death has no sting over us. It's true, one day we're going to die. But what's that mean? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We have hope for now and we have hope for our future. And it says we have an inheritance that is imperishable. You know, our hope for now and our hope for our future, it's never going to rot away. It's never going to fade away. It's never going to, to be destroyed. But it is kept safe by God for us at all times. He says that we are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. You know, these, these last two scriptures we looked at are kind of saying the same thing. Hope for now, hope for then. But when it comes, it will be completely revealed to us. And like we saw earlier, this hope that we're waiting for, even the rest that we're looking forward to, too far. It says that this hope is not going to put us to shame. It's not going, other translations say that this hope is not going to disappoint. I don't know about you guys, but that's good news to me. You know, we're constantly being barotted, being bombarded by people that think we're crazy for believing what we believe. I think that it's just a fairy tale. It's just a made-up story. But as I look through the Scriptures and I see the promises of, of God, and I see the hope that it inspires in me that I've attached faith to knowing that I have these realities. And it's not just, I can have great faith and great hope in what's in my future because... I've already experienced stuff in my presence. God has been faithful now, and I know He's going to continue to be faithful forever. I've looked at my life, and I've measured what has happened. I've seen what has happened, and God has never left me or forsake me. He's always been faithful. He's always kept His promises. And how much more so when the full glory of His promises are revealed to me in that day? And finally, we'll end here in Romans fifteen thirteen. It says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. You know, it's interesting with all the pagan religions and with all the gods that were worshipped and have been worshipped to this day, that from the Assyrians all the way to to the, to the Greeks and the Romans, there was God of war, there was gods of industry, there was gods of agriculture, there was gods of cities, gods of love, gods of towns, and various other gods. There was never a God of hope. You know, this is true in our culture as well. For many people, hope has been long abandoned. And what we have is so incredible. What we have... It's so amazing. And there's a tangible need for Christ in our city. You see, people that are walking around with Jesus, they don't have a God of hope. They don't have any hope. 
And we can offer that to them. And we've looked at the Scriptures and seen what hope has accomplished in our lives. And we can take a step back and look at our experience and see that that hope has been a reality in our lives. And we need to share that with others. See, the interesting thing is that the God of hope fills us with all of our joy and our peace in believing. It's, it's in our believing, in our faith, that as we looked at earlier, was, was, was sprung up from, that was, 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 was ignited by the hope that we have. Is where we're filled with joy and peace. You know, it's like a, a process, a step in a machine. We, we start, we see what, what God is offering, and we place our hope in that, and that ignites our faith. And our faith grabs hold of those promises. And when it does, we're filled with joy and peace. The promises of God become realities in our lives, all because it started with daring to hope in Him. You know, this right here is my prayer for all of us in this room. May the God of hope fill us with all joy and peace in believing and that the power of the Holy Spirit that we may abound in hope. So let's be a people who by faith grabs a hold of this prayer and lives it as a reality in our life. Let's be a people who abound in hope. And more than that, let's be a people who shares our hope with others. Amen? Amen. Let's go and stand to our feet.